You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Hey, everybody. Thanks for downloading the show. we got a great episode today with Sterling Lee. Now, Sterling Lee is actually the regional counselor of Ward 2 here in Ajax, Ontario. So we have our third politician uh, that's going to be on the show, and it's going to be a really great episode today. So a little bit about Sterling Lee. Now, Sterling Lee has been a resident uh, with his wife and his four-year-old son. Sterling Lee is actually a graduate of Wilfrid Laurier University, where he majored in English, literature, and political science. Now, after 12 years of working in the technology sector, he worked in places like Rogers Communications, Microsoft. He decided to move back into his field of study, which is politics. Now, for those four years uh, of going back into politics, he actually served as a senior advisor and stakeholder relation manager for the Honorable Mark Holland, who is actually the federal representative of Ajax here for the government of Canada. He was able to connect with Ajax residents and understands the needs of the community. So more about uh, Sterling as well is that in 2018, he won his first political campaign to become the regional counselor uh, for Ward 2. And throughout his term, he had the pleasure of sitting on the Ajax Library Board, Durham Region's Planning and Economic Development Committee, the Durham Region Local Housing Corporation, the Business Advisory Center of Durham Board, and Durham's Anti-Racism Task Force, where he sits as an inaugural chair. So now what we're going to do today to talk on the show is actually to talk about what his platform was because he was newly elected. We had elections here just a few weeks ago in early October. So we're going to talk about what his platform he ran on and how he's actually going to achieve that platform this year for the next four years. But also more importantly, how can local businesses work with their councillors when they're having issues and what plans does he have to help out small businesses? So it's going to be a great episode today. So sit back and absorb. All right, guys, we have Sterling Lee right now. He is the regional counselor of Ward 2. Sterling, how are you doing, my friend? I am doing well, Ken. A little tired, but I, I, will, I will power, power through, through That's. I just got, um, I just, so uh, timing-wise, we just finished the election probably a week and a half ago. And um, during that last week of the election, I was terribly sick. I think I got the flu for my kid. So um, pretty much for the week after the election, I had like no voice because I had coughed my voice out. So Van Anson, one hundred percent. You'll uh, you'll hopefully forgive uh, that. And you still won. That's the, that's the thing. Yes, <laughs> so that, that's, that's the, the important thing, thing right? That's but that, the this is why thing. I try to tell the listeners. It's it's very interesting because before, like when I, a little bit of the history that this podcast <laughs> was started because of the pandemic and hearing all the stories of small businesses that were kind of closing, and I thought, oh, it would be nice to hear from these small business owners, and mainly geared towards Canada. So that's what we were doing, and then next thing we know, we're starting to build up some steam that I was starting to get guests from the United States coming. We had the mayor of Scranton, Pennsylvania, and we're div- diving into a little bit of the political space, but not we're not going to be comparing like policies or anything like that and all po- political shows. But Sterling, like I said, he is now a municipal councillor here in uh, Ajax. We even had Arthur Augustine, who was a mayoral candidate with Ajax, and I think we're trying to get uh, I guess Nancy Henry, who's a, just a regular Ward 2 councillor. I think she wants to mm-hmm. do the show as well. So, you know, even though it may be some political items, we're still always going to bring it back to how can how does this affect the small business owner and how to inspire them to continue to try to do their own thing. So glad to have uh, Sterling on here. So Sterling, just a little bit of background to the listeners. Uh, define what is a regional counselor? Because I know, I know in the Ontario or maybe in Ontario, we have like regular counselors, we have regional counselors, and then of course we have like trustees, and then of course we have the mayor. So explain to some of the listeners who are not, may not be familiar, what are the, the goals, the roles differ from the regional counselor to the ward counselor? Sure thing. 
So, I mean, in Canada, I mean, this is for your U.S. listeners, we have three levels of government. We have the federal level, which is the prime minister. We have the provincial level, which is the highest, the premier. Then we have a municipal level. And there are certain municipalities in Ontario that are considered two-tier, which means there is a, a regional tier and then the local tier. The local tier, the highest level is the mayor. And so I am, I sit on the local council, but then in um, the next level would be the regional tier in um, Pickering, Ajax would be Oshawa, Clarington, Brox, Cougog, and Uxbridge. They make up the region of Durham and that in itself has um, its own uh, upper tier government. And what that does is, um, long story short, um, there's a lot of services that can be amalgamated and pooled like police services and planning and water and sewage. So um, the regional councillors deal with those specific issues as it deals with the region in a whole. But then I also send local council, which means I deal with just specifically Ajax council issues. Okay, perfect. So that's interesting to hear. It's good to know as well, because I remember when I would see literature from wards and regionals, I'm like, so what is the difference? Because we're having ward two. Who does, Who does what? what? Who does and what? Do you right? see that as sometimes, uh, did you have that, did you have to do that educational process even with local residents when they're and you are knocking doors and saying, oh, I'm running for regional council. Constantly. Um, people would often confuse me being like, oh, I was going to vote for so-and-so local councillor. I can't vote for you now. And I'd have to explain the regional council. And then inevitably they'd always be like, well, what's the difference? So, um, you know, it's a failure of our education system. <laughs> if nothing else, I think our schools have to do a better job teaching it. But quite honestly, I mean, I'm sure I, I went through this in grade five civics and it wasn't until I was an adult before I truly understood the difference. So. We just need, we need better branding is what we do. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think they don't do that much in, in, uh, in schools anyways. Right. So no one really talks about politics unless you're a college university where you might say, oh, I'll study politics or political science or anything like that. But especially for, for my kids as well, I'm trying to teach them just a little bit. Obviously I'm not as, as good as you on it and how important it is to vote, uh, for every single election. Same with uh, my wife, Mrs. K, where, you know, she just says, who are you voting for? I said, well, I'm voting for this, but I don't want you to follow me. I mean, here's, and I give her all the literature right. from all the candidates. Here's who's running. Here's what they're saying. You make your decisions, even from the federal and provincial levels. And for the U.S. listeners, provincials is kind of like governor, pretty much where they're running the states. Right. That's right. Um, I'll say, I don't really care which party you vote for, right? I could be leaning one way. You can vote for whoever you want because not a lot of countries have that kind of freedom nowadays. Like we don't have the, the freedom of choice sometimes. Well, you mentioned, you know, um, the pandemic. And uh, the biggest example I always use is Hong Kong. So Hong Kong used to be under British rule in 97. Now it's now under uh, Chinese rule. And China always said it's going to be like kind of two different governments. We'll give you the local democracy, but then the overhead Chinese government rule. And then over time, the Chinese government kept cutting into the, you know, Hong Kong government democracy. And I remember specifically during the pandemic, it was like 7 million Hong Kong residents in the streets of Hong Kong. And Hong Kong is not a very large country in of itself, right? It's, it's actually quite small. So just like the, the comparison is what three, four times the population of Toronto marching in the streets for democracy, for their right to vote. And it's something I think in a lot of uh, Western nations we take for granted because we're just like, oh, it's whatever. But it's like, you, you don't realize you have something till it's gone. And those, those people in Hong Kong, they realized they had lost it and they wanted to fight for it. So I always use that example of just like, yeah, every vote counts. And more to the point of every vote counts in the Ajax election, one of the races was won by 33 votes. Yeah. Like, I, I can't even explain how close 30, 33 votes is five houses going from one candidate to the other. Yeah. If I knocked on five more doors and convinced five 
five more residences to uh, vote for me, I could possibly have won that election. Like that, every vote literally counts in these things. So, you know, like I don't buy that argument either of, oh, my vote's one of many. It, some votes, some races come go down to 33 that's, votes. That's just so I know, is there like a limit in terms of, you know, because that particular riding was won by 33, is there like an automatic recount or what's the threshold to say, okay, it's too close to call. We got to do a sure. recount. So how is it here in Ajax or here you Specifically in Ajax, um, back in 20, um, sorry, uh, 24, 2014, we first introduced online voting. So we did, you could vote online or you could vote in person. In the 2018 election, it was strictly voting online and same as this past election in 2022. Because of that though, there's really no need for a recount. You've clicked your candidate, you hit submit, that is the vote. There's no um, skewed ballots, hanging chads or anything. Like, there's nothing like that. Like, so the, there's really no need for a recount. Yeah, and vote harvesting or something, all that, all that drama in the US that seems to be like people manning, you know, polling stations, all that sort of stuff. So you know, I, I know that, uh, I know for Ajax, they've done it. And, you know, for all people who aren't at Ajax, Push your federal, push your governments to try to see to embed it because it was so easy. Like to be honest, it literally took me maybe right. thirty seconds to vote. Aside from validating, you know, my identity and stuff like that, I'm basically just clicking on the different candidates who I like. Click submit. I think they asked me one confirmation question to make sure that I that I'm that I have yep. the right number that I voted for anything, or if I forgot to vote for someone, it'll let me know that I'm missing a category. But that was it, right? And even in the polling stage, now that might take some jobs away from some. Uh, People who used to work the, the police agents from Elections Canada, where, you know, you would come into like provincial federal elections where, you know, you have the people making some part-time cash that way. So I don't know if we want to fully do that, but, you know, what did you think about the turnout, though, of Ajax election? Did we get a lot of turnouts and stuff? No. So I think we were at 22% turnout, Ooh. which is abysmal. Yeah. Now, um, there's other municipalities in Durham specifically that he had even lower than that. Even so. So it's like... Um, I think to a degree, you know, like to your listeners, um, predominantly in Ontario, we did a federal election 13 months ago, a provincial election six months ago, and then there's the municipal election. I think to a degree, like the population was kind of electioned out, so to speak, right? I know yeah. I was, you know, and especially, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, this isn't a political podcast, but it, it seems today, and this is not, this is not one side or the other, that people are angrier. People, COVID really negatively impacted a lot of people. And people haven't even begun to address the frustrations that came with COVID, whether you're pro-lockdown, anti-lockdown, it doesn't matter. We all are all in the same boat. It was all an incredibly frustrating experience. But that, what that led to is people are becoming way more polarized than ever before. And we're seeing it. And it's, it's leading the middle. So not the radicalized left or right, but just the middle to just be exhausted with politics yeah. in general. And I, 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 I get it too. I'm, I'm in it and I'm somewhat exhausted by it. So it's, I'm not sure what the answer is. I think collectively we should try to deal with the trauma that was COVID, whether you see a, you know, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, doesn't matter. Like, you know, we keep saying mental health is such an important thing and all these companies do big mental health campaigns, but it's like we, as a public, we haven't truly embraced the idea that maybe we're not all okay. And maybe we need to find more productive ways of addressing this inner frustration and anger rather than going on Twitter and just flaming politicians or just yelling at near neighbors or yelling at your politicians. Like that's not productive. No. And it doesn't even get your, it actually, I would argue it gets you more angry 
which is kind of a sad statement. Well, yeah, and I, think I totally agree with that one because I think, like you said, on either side, they're both shutting down each other. And the people who can really, yep. who are stuck in the middle, like I think for most, like Canada's almost very much down the middle, or down the middle. We're usually very neutral when it comes to a lot yep. of issues, right? But I find that it's, it's harder because you're hearing both and you could be influenced one way or the other. But the thing what, what I guess annoys me is that everyone is drowning out actual conversations anymore. It's more like you can't, you have to agree with everything on one side and you're not allowed to disagree with them because if you disagree with one item on your quote unquote team, then they, then you're like a traitor and you're like, oh, you're, you're on the other side of the, of the fence, which I'm right. like, right. no, I mean, I, I always felt that, look, we might agree on, you know, we might disagree on, let's say gun control or environment. But if we agree with sure. 95% of the other stuff, no one ever talks about where everyone agrees. Everyone really likes, and unfortunately media too, like to focus in on the small parts that we don't agree on. And they just blow that just to get everyone angrier at each other, which I, which it doesn't make any sense because we have to live with each other. Well, anger sells. Yeah. That's what that's what these companies have realized is like these, by, by posting these inflammatory headlines one way or the other, you take an innocuous news story and make it into clicks and make it into you know, money. And that is kind of what these, especially social media companies have realized. And even as the public, we realize that, but we still get sucked into it. Right. I don't know what the answer is, Ken. Like it's, it's a really toxic environment and it's just like every election I get so exhausted and yeah, I signed up to it to a degree, but just the, 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 the pure hatred and anger of people towards me who haven't even met me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you meet me and don't like me, I get it. I hundred percent, you know, but it's just like, if you haven't even met me to give a very strong opinion about me, you got to think twice about that. You know? Yeah. So back to the first question. So what got you into this crazy sure. political space? Yeah. So, you know, I graduated from Wilfrid Laurier in 2004. I graduated, you know, I studied uh, English literature and political science. Um, not because I... I probably in the back of my mind wanted to get into politics, but it's a very overwhelming space to get into. And then like a lot of people, a lot of millennials who graduated in 2004, I, I didn't know what to do once I had my degree. Like school is the best. School, there's kind of your, it's, it's a very strict pattern. You do this, this, this. But once you're done school and you just have this open world, it's very overwhelming. So during summers and Christmases, I was working part-time at Rogers, just selling cell phones. And I enjoyed it. It was good, really good money. It was commission-based. And so I actually just kept doing that full time and then actually became quite good at it. Like I actually was a very good salesperson. So eventually I stayed with Rogers for about nine years. I had finished being um, a district sales manager at that time. And then um, I was downsized. And Ken, let me tell you, I was downsized on my birthday. Oh, which come on, Rogers. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I'm a name on a list. And that was the day they were downsizing people. I get that. But just like, I'll never forget. I'm just like 2011. Uh, August 11, 2013, I was downsized and it was a very traumatic experience. I got a bit of a severance package, so I just took some time off. And then maybe after a month, it wasn't even like, I think I had like eight months severance, but after a month, my wife just like saw me on the couch and she was like, you have to get a job. And I was like, what? And she was like, just get off the, you have to do something because you're like, she was my uh, fiance at the time. She's like, you just have to do something. So I like wiped the Cheeto dust off my face and I was like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll look for jobs. I ended up applying to Samsung. And again, I had worked for Rogers for nine years. I was a pretty cocky sales guy. And um, I was like, okay, I, I got this job. No problem. I was probably a little too confident in that interview. And unfortunately I did not get that job. And I, looking back, I wouldn't have hired myself. 
But that humility definitely taught me to uh, take stock of where I was. So I applied for another tech company. I applied to Microsoft and I worked for Microsoft for two years and, or about a year and change. Um, and that was a super cool experience. Like Microsoft, such a really good work, like uh, just really embraces workers and great, great company to work for. But after a while, I think it was about 2014, late 2014, early 2015, I started getting very disillusioned with just like sales and just like, is this how I see my career? And if it is, do I want to maybe become my own sales or become a real estate agent or anything like that? But then um, uh, outside of my professional life, my personal life, I started taking um, classes at the Second City. Um, Second City is like an improv class, just like, just to get my mind off work. And at that time, I meet a man named Mark Holland. So um, for those of you who follow politics, Mark Holland is our um, house leader in Ottawa right now. But back then he had lost an election in 2011. So he was taking improv, also just to blow off steam. We become very good friends. And then in 2015, he says to me, Sterling, I'm going to run for office again. I think, you know, my passion's this. And having met him, I kind of realized, oh, like you're like a legit politician, but not a politician in the way we all yeah, think of politicians. Yeah, slightly willing to they, compromise their beliefs. Politician's stuff. almost a yeah. bad word. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, you actually believe what you say. And like you, you say in such an elegant way. I was like, I want to help. So um, I would go to Microsoft, which is in Mississauga. I would drive to Ajax after work, about an hour commute. Um, I'd canvas in Ajax. I would knock on doors for Mark for about three and a half hours and then go back to my uh, condo in Yorkdale. So it was like quite, I did that for about eight months straight. And it's not because I wanted anything. It's just because like, I believe in this guy. Let me help him. So he wins the election and he says to me, Sterling, like you have a really good head for this. Why don't you work for me? And I said, okay. You know, like it was like, I have this mindset and it's, uh, you know, bringing it back to small business, small business owners. If it, if something scares you, it's probably not a bad thing to try. You know what I'm saying? Like we should constantly be challenging ourselves. And I think what happens in a lot of people's lives is they get comfortable and they get stuck. And then you get frustrated at your lack of progression. Here, I had this really opportunity to get into politics, which I can't stress enough. Politics in general is a very hard world to get into. And I was sight unseen. Like Mar I didn't have any political skills except a degree, which quite honestly, like what is a degree in the real world? And Mark said, yeah, like, I just think you, I, I can mold you into this. So for the next three years, I studied under one of the best political minds in Canada. And I say that not because he's my best friend, but just like he had a really good mind of just seeing how pieces moved, how things played out. And it was fascinating. After three years, it's now 2018, the municipal election. Mark says, I don't think I can teach you anything else. Why don't you try running for this spot? So typically the path is you run for local council first, then move up. The thing was, there seemed, there was an opening at regional council where there was no incumbent. And Mark said, just go for the seat. You know, you got nothing to lose. You have, you have a job here if you lose. And I said, great. Um, I end up winning and I end up becoming, um, Ajax is like the young, youngest regional counselor. And, um, yeah. And then a whirlwind four years later, I get reelected and it's just been, it's been a really cool experience, but it's just like, speaking of just like taking chances, if I didn't take that second city class on a Tuesday, I remember the day's very specific, but if I took it on a Wednesday or Thursday. I'd be working at Microsoft right now. I would not be on this podcast. My life would be very different. So it's just like, I'm very much a firm believer in the ideas of like fate. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I think I was fated to meet my best friend at that day. We both kind of were, you know, ships astray. We met each other and it all kind of worked out. So yeah, it's like my, my, my political path is very strange. It's not like I was uh, helping politics since I was little. I took a sex, second city class and here I wow. am. Wow.
So hear that, folks? Join yeah. an improv class. The next thing you know, you might be counselor or yeah. even mayor. You never know. Or maybe, yeah, <laughs> who knows? But I think, yeah, I think taking chances is a really good uh, lesson that I think your listeners should really take heed to. Of just like, I've always believed, because I have a pretty strong personality, right? I'm, I'm not really shy. But just like fortune does favor the bull. And if you have this million dollar idea, whatever it is, then just go all in on it. You know, like it, life will generally figure itself out, right? If you have the skill set required. But just like I think half, especially in politics, you know, really back to politics, a lot of pol a lot of reasons you don't like your politicians is because they took that first step of just putting their name in, and a lot of quote unquote good candidates didn't take that first step, and now you are left with the people you have representing you, and hopefully they're doing a good job. But it's like, if they're, if you don't think they are, then take that chance and put in the hard yeah, work. Or even like you said, talk to them, get to know them as well. So you kind of know where they stand and you'll definitely know if they're your candidate or not. Oh, yeah. And I don't think people did that. Cause I think some people, like you said, I think it's true. Everyone got electioned out because too many elections and some people say, and, and lower turnout. I think for a lot of people, it's one of those things. There's usually higher turnout when there's kind of like, quote unquote, a change election. So when there is kind of like a, yep. a trend That's to true. say, okay, we might want someone new. Then voter turnership goes up, but if it's, we're, we're kind of okay with how things are. Like I might not be perfect, but I don't see it getting worse. Or I don't, we're not, it's not as bad. I will just keep the same, same people, which of course you want to win as a politician, but I guess you want people to be engaged because you want them. I assume when you're running for this, you care about the community a lot and you just wish that everyone else maybe cared as much as you do on that. Right. I very much so like for me and I, 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 I'm not, you know, saying this just cause I'm in the world, but like the institution itself is more important than I am. Right. Like I, I will eventually move on past this world one way or the other. And it's like the town of Ajax council and regional council will still move on as an institution. So it's just like, I have a firm belief, like democracy is the most important thing. And it's just like apathy should not be a reason you don't exercise your vote. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not asking a lot. It takes maybe an hour if you have to go in somewhere, but it's just like you're, you're, you're helping the system as a whole. And I think that's a really important fundamental um, principle that people take for yeah, granted. Absolutely. You know, like people always go to the extreme, like people fought wars so that we could have this system that we have now. Is it perfect? No, absolutely not. But even the fact that you have a choice at all, you're, you're better than some parts of the world that just like, this is the world you live in. You have no choice, no say in it. And I, I can only imagine how frustrating that no, is. Absolutely. absolutely. So yeah, let's talk about the platform that you, that you ran on and that you're currently working to implement. So I know we, I think one of them is the long-term residential on-street parking system. So you, you have details about that? Yes. <laughs> I, sorry, I'm laughing only because like my platform was not sexy and I, I, I own that. <laughs> it's like right? healthcare, environment, um, parking. Yeah. yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm not going to change the world, but there were some key gaps in Ward 2 that I wanted, like in, in North Ajax, that needed to be addressed. One of them was a long-term uh, uh, long residential parking system. So in, in North Ajax, it's a lot of the newer developments, uh, smaller homes. We have a lot of semis and townhomes. The streets are narrower. But as a result of that, like the driveways are smaller. We have a, this parking issue where we have tons of people, tons of cars. And especially with this housing crisis that exists today, people, you know, like millennials have to stay with their parents because they can't afford a house. So now like these, you have like three, four cars sometimes per house and nowhere to put the cars, 
right? The parents didn't envision the kids living with them in their 30s, sometimes 40s. They thought they'd be out in the world. But just like the way the housing works right now, that just can't happen. So I wanted to create a system like they have in Toronto where there are streets that are wider, that have tons of space, that aren't being adequately used. Why don't we just offer like a six-month permit? It's not going to solve every household's problem, but it's like, it's better than just ticketing people and saying, there's nothing I can do. There's absolutely something we can do. It just takes some work and some investment. And I think the study itself, just to see the feasibility of this, costs $15,000, which is not inconsequential, but to save all these residents $30 tickets every time they get caught by bylaw for parking outside of the driveway, I think it's a good investment for us that'll help in a really specific time. And by the way, this six-month parking doesn't have to be around forever. I, ideally, I don't think this housing crisis is going to last forever. I really hope it doesn't, Ken. But, you know, like, it's, so it's like, as a politician, it's my job to find solutions to problems that are affecting a lot of my residents. Interesting. You know, another platform piece, again, very not sexy, is just like, I would love an online system for people to just interact with the town. And so, for example, if you wanted to do renovations, you'd have to, um, you'd have to go to the town of Ajax between 8.30 and 4.30. Those are our town hours. And, like, get a permit or find the application and everything. And it's all stuff I very much feel can be done online. So it's just like we need to build the infrastructure to create this online system so people don't have to take a day off work, so to speak, just to get a permit for a patio or whatever. And I remember I put this on Twitter and someone wrote, oh, nice, nice platform piece. What is this, 2006? Like, this should be done already. And I was like, it yeah, should be. that's my point. It should be done. Like, I agree, but it isn't done. So it's just like, rather than just sit back and hope it gets done during my time, I want to make it a proactive thing where it's like, it's something I advocate for, for residents across. Because again, like I'm, because of my work history in the tech sector, I'm very tech minded. I'm just like, can we be more efficient through technology? And that's one area we absolutely can. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because if you think about it, like I think like, to that uh, very sarcastic Twitter person that, that, that said, we don't do this already or whatever, a lot of provinces, a lot of municipalities, a lot of states in the United States and all over the world, it is that you have to apply for stuff in person. Yeah. You know, like I think right now you can even apply for a mortgage online. You can, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to physically sign a document anymore. We, have, you know, docu those signature stuff. So why, why don't we do that? Dealing with $500,000 loans, yeah. no problem. You can do it online, but like to get like a, you know, a $10,000 patio, you have to go through all these leaps and bounds. And it's not just going in once, Ken. If it was once, then I guess you can, it's fine. But a lot of times you got to go and resubmit, get the Variances, approvals. All that it's sort just of stuff, like, right? why is it, why are we making our staff man our offices? You know, like COVID was a perfect example. And like, I remember just before COVID, maybe like six months before, there was a, there was a staff uh, report of like util utilizing town space and how like the, the, in, the buildings we had, we were going to outgrow them soon and what, what our plan was. And I raised my hand. I was like, why don't we just let people work from home? And you might as well, I might as well have been, has said, said like fire in a movie theater. People looked at me being like, what are you talking about? Like that can't be done. Right? Like it was, it was a foreign concept. And then the pandemic, like one of the good things you know, very few good things happened. But one of the good things that happened was that it proved that there's a lot of administrative workforces that can be done from home. And the argument against it's always like, well, how can we sure, be sure you're being efficient? Well, that's why we hire managers. And that's the manager's job to do. If you find, you know, 
you're not being efficient, then we'll get a new person who can do this. But I think for the most part, well, for two years, for, for sure, we proved that the world will not stop spinning on its axis of people who are working from home. And it, in fact, increases productivity. People are less stressed. My wife doesn't have to drive an hour and 15 minutes to Toronto, an hour and 15, two and a half hours in traffic for a job that she can do from home. And she, we're not the only case. This is happening all over. So it's like, why aren't we embracing these technologies? And I think a lot of it, Ken, is people have this old, old mind feel just like, well, oh, my, my dad worked at the office and his dad worked at the office. So that's the way it has to be. It's like, no, you're like, no, we have every technology available to, to not do this anymore. And it's just like all of the repercussions, less cars on the road. Uh, you can be there for your family. You can make dinner. Like, it's like repercussions. Like it's, it always blows my mind. So, I mean, like eventually, like I, I'm very much a tech first um, individual who just is asking, how do we make our lives simpler with technology? Well, no, I totally agree. I mean, it's funny because I remember this back in the day and I work at a bank as well. So I'm sorry, like I still work at a bank. And I remember the one time I was, this is back when, they did offer remote working like maybe one or two days a week, which is at that time, this is back in 2011. That was considered like, what are you talking about? Right. But I was like, we can, I said, great. And I remember the one time I was working and I think it was right near the end of my day. I was about to sign up. I decided to go into for young people, Facebook. I just happened to go Ooh. into Facebook just <laughs> right as I'm getting ready to pack. Up. And what, and would you know it? The vice president just happens to walk by my desk, right behind you, look at my screen and say, hey, Ken. And I'm like, hi. And I'm thinking, I didn't touch it once. But the one time yeah, I decide to turn it on, then someone looks at it. It's just very odd because but the, my rationale too is that, yeah, you might have managers and all that sort of stuff, but how are you going to tell that they're not on social media on their, on their computer? Right? Just to fill a seat. I don't know if that makes much sense, right? Because yeah. it's true. You, you, we were forced to work from home and Obviously, like with a lot of places, we had to adjust a little bit because our network went from like maybe a few thousand people working from home to almost like the entire population with the exception of the, yeah, with the exception yeah, of yeah. people that work in like the branch offices where you have to be, you know, customer facing and stuff. So I don't see why not. So you talked about the mobile Ajax strategy. I think that's a great idea. I mean, I'm looking forward to see how we're going to be able to implement some of these things. And so how, so for some of your platforms, we talked about, you know, we have the inclusionary zoning, the expansion of the Audley Rec Center, the creation of library market space, makerspace art. How would you navigate to actually start making things happen? Because obviously if we had unlimited budgets, yeah. get it all done. Yep. How do we, how do you do something like this? Do you, obviously this can't be done in one day. So this is what you're hoping to do by the end of the uh, four years that you're mandated with? Over four years. And it's just like, I don't know, like when I, I'm so, you know, Ken, you'll, you, you'll, you'll very much remember this. A lot of candidates put very generic proposals or, you know, on their campaign cards, you know, of just like, you know, lower taxes, help the environment, but there's like, there's nothing tangible. And it's just like, that always bothered me, even when I wasn't in politics. I'm just like, well, what can you do? So I joke that my campaign, you know, commitments weren't sexy, but they're very much achievable. Right. And so the, the way that the sausage is made, so to speak, it's just like, ultimately, you know, every year there's a budget cycle. And like staff will say, oh, we need X more staff members, which would mean a 2% property increase or a 1% property increase, or I need this amount of capital dollars um, to it. And then as a council during budget time, we discuss what the priorities are. So for example, last campaign, I said, I wanted automatic speed enforcement. 
We had a huge debate two years ago, and now we have photo radar cameras, which have done their job of reducing speeds in school zone. So it's just like, for anybody listening who wants to go into politics, make sure your campaign commitments are achievable and specific. And it's just like, I learned that in school. I'm just like, anybody can say pie in the sky. I'm going to cure cancer. I'm going to end world hunger. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you want to do that, but can you do that? And so the things I propose, like a, a zoning permit, like I said, it's going to cost $15,000 for the study. I have to, during budget period, fight for that $15,000 and convince my, my, my council colleagues that this is a priority and explain why. And, you know, and there's some training involved, there's some politics involved, so to speak, but that's like, that's what I feel I'm good at and able to get. Interesting. So, so how do you work with other counselors and work? I know for Ajax, we have what, five seats or something like that under the mayor? Seven, seven or seven, seven? Okay. Or no, six, six and the mayor. So seven. So how do you work with other counselors? Because everyone's like yourself is going to have differing priorities. Is it one of those things that, okay, we'll do this, we'll do your initiative for this term. And once you get elected next year, maybe we'll do you know, you could do mine or, or maybe the other way around because <laughs> everyone wants to do theirs first. Right. So it's, no, it's not untrue. And it's, I've, I've actually never thought about how to be honest. Like, I think, um, what people don't understand is like a council is like a board of directors, right? So it's not like we have very little to do with the day-to-day -day activities of the town. So for example, like if you feel like our grass isn't being cut right away as a counselor, I can't order staff. To do that we have a whole administrative side that's i can in a sense i can send an email being like hey what is the schedule for this and then from a strategic point of view i can then say let's cut our grass every week as opposed to every two weeks here's the cost and then that's that gets approved so ours is kind of the larger side and i think um to answer your question going back to like how it's done it really is just like convincing people of the why and the how and the necessity of it and why it's urgent and really defending it. It's, it's no different than a courtroom drama to a degree where it's like, I stand up and I give a closing argument about like why, and then ultimately you hope to convince your coworkers. I think there's some horse trading involved of just like, well, if we do this in ward two here, we'll do this in ward one. But generally like I'm trying to think back to last term where I didn't really do that that much. I would generally like, I think a lot of my motions passed on the strength of my ability to present presented and then argue for it. Interesting. So about this there, so it's a very good education process on the municipal politics, at least within Ajax. I'm sure, I'm hopeful that most of the other wards, most other cities, municipalities have something similar of it. I don't, I don't envy the mayor of Toronto with, uh, with 25 councillors plus all the other stuff because that seems to be like a nightmare to manage. So I'm not to say that Ajax is going to be quote unquote easier to manage. Having to convince, you know, maybe six other people versus, you know, 25 other people to try to get something approved would probably be a lot more arduous. It's, it's funny because like you actually need very distinct skill sets to be a politician. So the first one is actually like deciding to run. Like I said, 99% of people who should be in elected office don't uh, run for it because like it's a very daunting task. So that's like step number one of like having the uh, fortitude to decide I'm going to put my life out there and run for office. Then there's the campaigning. And that actually is a fully different skill set of just like being able to knock on doors and uh, give your message in two minute, five minute sound bites, debate other people about why they should be elected. 
And then there's the third skill set of like actually governing and administration. So um, yeah, it's you know like the best um, the best counselors aren't always the best mayors. If a counselor's been around for 25 years, that doesn't necessarily make them the best mayor. Um, the uh, a lot of mayors who um, are in that top position don't have leadership skills. We see, you know, and it's it's very frustrating because like. There are other circumstances beyond just being the best candidate. No different than the business world, right? And it happens all the time. But it's just, um, yeah, it, it requires kind of like a perfect mix of skill sets to do various parts of the job. And I think for me, I'm a pretty good regional counselor. If I can not pat myself on the back, but like, um, would I make a good mayor? I hope so down the line. But like, people ask, why didn't you run for mayor this term? And it's because. As ambitious as I am, I'm also someone who believes in doing the work and being qualified for the work. And at this point in my career, I didn't think I was qualified to do the position yet. And I'm, I have tons of supporters like, oh, you should have run for mayor. And I appreciate that. And I'm not closing the door on it ever. But it's just like, for me, I like to learn the job. And I think we, we would all do better in life if you took the time to make sure you had the adequate skill sets between leadership and administration and all that before you keep going for these next rungs. Otherwise you have CEOs or like, you know, company owners who have no business being there. And that's where we see a lot of business, especially in the small business world, a lot of failures in the small yeah, business. Yeah, I think world. you're right. Cause you just touch upon it. Like the, the just right to run campaigning and then governing are three different things. Cause how many politicians have you seen that they're a great campaigner, but in terms of actually governing, it's horrible or they're really good governors, but they just don't have any. They they have the personality of you know wallpaper, right? But for some reason they yeah. get elected somehow, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, like yeah. small businesses as well. So how do you work with small businesses now? Obviously, we're back to the small business side of it. Have what did the small business owners have told you what's on their mind, and how do you help? How do you plan on on uh, I guess addressing their concerns? So Ajax is very much like a bedroom community. I wish it wasn't so, but it, it is very much a reality where a lot of our small businesses for the most part are retail or retail based. I'm not saying a hundred percent, but I'm just saying a lot of them. So there are certain gaps in the town of Ajax that I wish it weren't so as decisions before I made council. So we have this really small stretch uh, in um, West Ajax. It's called Pickering Village. It's kind of like our old historic area. And it's, it's great. To, it's, you know, all these older buildings, you know, they, they kept their Looks old beautiful. facades and it's great. Looks beautiful. But the problem is during the planning and development stage, it's jam packed full of dentists. Right. So you have this amazing space where like during Christmas, you can open a giant Christmas market and set up restaurants and you know, pop up places too. But right? the businesses, Pop-up places, but the businesses there are dentists. I, I think we have like seven, eight dentists there. I could be exaggerating, but so because of that, they're really only a nine to five business. They don't really care about the 5 p.m. plus or the weekends. So we have this entire strip of like prestige, old school, that you could do all these festivals and everything that isn't being maximized because the decision makers previously, and that goes from the developer to the planners, just let dentists set up there. So. One of the problems with Ajax is we don't have much space left that's not accounted for. So we have to be very strategic and smart in how we focus these spaces. And an example is, um, you know, we're, we're building upwards. Intensification is a big thing. But instead of just building a strict, you know, 10-story condo, why don't we set the first two floors for businesses and retail, 
So it's like, it's a mixed use building, which we see tons in Toronto, but not so much as much in Durham and the suburbs, right? So it's just like, that is the areas I'm focusing on, giving businesses an opportunity to thrive. Another key one is also ultimately, especially for small businesses, you know, it's so easy. Everyone says, and you, we're, we're almost tired of hearing it. Small businesses are the bone of our community. We can't, and it's hundred percent true, but I'm sure like everyone says it, but then when push comes to shove, people, they go to the chains, they go to the big boxes, they go to Amazon and don't get me wrong. I do as well, but I think we need a better campaign of supporting small local businesses, right? Otherwise. What's going to happen is the big boxes will eat up all this. And we're seeing it now. Small businesses can't compete with prices, whatever. And then you just lose out on all this like niche. And we very, become very just corporate and very just, and don't worry, there's room for that. But it's just like, I want to make sure like when we plan out over the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, we leave spaces and promotional available availability to these small businesses. And, you know, part of it too, is just like, small business owners across the world, what makes you unique? Do you know what I'm saying? Like you can open a restaurant and sure, I, I, I love eating restaurants. In fact, you know, one way I promote small businesses is like every Friday I try to do takeout and I do foodie Friday where I post my Instagram and I post reviews of just the food I've eaten and it's great, but it's just like, what are we doing different? What is your, what is your hook? Do you have something that's unique to the market or are you just doing something that everyone else is doing? Because it's the latter, then unfortunately, you have to fight 15 times as hard to, to stand out. Why is your smash burger better than anyone else's burger? Why is your cupcake better than anyone else's? Why is the cupcake? Chinese food you're you know? serving is better than the you know, 15 to 20 other ones that right. are in the city? And, and the irony of that, Ken, again, I'm Chinese. What, what, what's I'm your background? I'm Canadian Filipino. And my Canadian wife is, so from, Chinese. is from Hong Kong, the, so she is Chinese, yes. Right, right. But it's just like, for some reason, in Ajax, we have zero good Chinese like restaurants. We have a lot of, we have a lot of hot god restaurants, which is like a different type of Chinese restaurant. But like, if you want to go for Chinese restaurants, you got to go to or Scarborough Marco. at the yeah. absolute near, or yeah. I mean, Marco predominantly, but Scarborough, if you don't want to drive that far. And it's just like, why, why aren't they setting up? Like there's, there's a gap there. I think there's a market for it. Like I, we, like you have two Asians right here who say that there's no good Chinese food. So ergo, there's like, there's a gap, but for some reason. Why are we attracting these businesses? And by the way, these are the questions every government official is asking. Why, why aren't these businesses coming here, right? So it's just like, that's what we have to figure out. We have to do a better job of, you know, sending our scouts out to talk to these business owners and like entice them to come here. But like, I would love a high quality Chinese restaurant. I swear I would be there every yeah, I, week with you, my family. Do you know that, Peking duck um, barbecue pork. Sorry, you know. Do you know on, uh, on uh, no, no. Compton near Salem, there's that... What was it? What does it used to be? Not long ago. It's not long ago. It's that uh, grocery store that's been there. Metro. Not Metro. The one that's oh, closed. Oh, no, 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 no. Used yes, to be Sobeys. Sobeys. That be has Sobeys. been empty since we moved here back in 2014. And I'm looking at that and, and I think my wife, Mrs. K, was saying, man, they should open, open up a TNT there. And then that would, that would be our thing. And I think, by the way, that is the plan. What? I drove by there, I think, two weeks ago. And I think a Chinese supermarket, I don't think TNT specifically, but I think a Chinese supermarket. And this, we're filming this in November, 2022, suggest it. And that could be a scoop for it. I'll tell Mrs. Kish, she might be happy, but they don't. Yeah. They, I, it's not even a scoop, by the way. I saw it on the window. So <laughs> I think like it's anybody drives by and I don't, don't, don't. I mean, we'll have to fact check this, but I'm 98% sure. I think that's and what I saw. You didn't see when it was going to open, right? No, but I mean, if you're putting signs, it's going to yeah. be imminent. But to your point, for at least five, six years, 
you had a giant supermarket space that wasn't being Why don't used. they just subdivide that out so you can have different things running in that? Don't get me wrong. I'm glad they didn't because now we got yeah, a Chinese now, yeah, supermarket. Yes, but... I can get some of those, you know, some honey buns. <laughs> you know, I, I can't wait. But up to that point, like, it's just like, so it's like decisions like that, where it's like developers are building a supermarket space. Presumably, they did the studies that said the market can, you know, can maintain it. And obviously, they were wrong. And it's just like, then the studies you did are flawed and you have to go back to the, the yeah. drawing board. So then how do you try to entice it? You said send scouts out there. So how would you help bring those businesses to Ajax, and especially North Ward 2, the regional areas? So listen to listeners, like how would you do that as a counselor or, or just some ideas so that people can hear, like, do we have to start offering, you know, grants or, you know, no taxes for a few months or whatever, renovation, you know, you know what I mean? Like, how do you get these businesses to start up? I mean, if it was an e-commerce business, not a big deal, right? Because you could just open it from home. But if we're no, trying to build actual brick and mortar locations, like how do you, how would you do that to market that? I think um, any perspective of a small business owner, right? The first thing you need to do is like, look at all the free resources available. And so where am I going with this? The town of Ajax, we have an economic development team. It's a group of four or five people. Samuel Tumasi is the manager there. Go to ajax.ca slash business. Quick plug for the website, the municipal website. But it's like their their job is to lead gen. Their job is to find these businesses, find and they they scour the earth and they it's their job to to attract new businesses. And we you know we and we've had some big ones come. We have Gordon Foods, we have Amazon, H and M. Or they're also we're seeing these like smaller pop up. There's a there's a healthcare uh, building opening uh, uh, right now. Actually, I couldn't be there. Um, but so it's just like, it's their job, my job again, because we're, we're more strategic planning. If I get a lead, it's to filter it to Samuel and his team. And if they say that, oh, we have too much work, we don't have enough bodies to cover all these leads, then it's my job then to make sure that the economic development team has more bodies. Right. But it's, it's, especially in, you know, Ontario politics, it's the, it's the, it's people forget a lot of times when they're like, oh, you're the politician. You must be able to do this. I can't. Right, there's very much strict rules of what I can and can't do. So it's like my job is to just hand the lead and trust my economic development team. And you know, Samuel's hired just during the pandemic. He's he's breathed some new life into our Ajax uh, business development team. They have great social media, and but it's a problem across Durham that we have is that people will always view us as a bedroom community and not a fit for small businesses. Uh, to which I would immediately respond. I would argue that is your built-in population demo of just like, it's fine. If it's the suburbs, how can your small business cater to the suburbs? What product or service can you offer specifically for the suburbs that um, no one else can offer? And if you figure that out, you will absolutely thrive. Oh, no, absolutely. So I'm going to ask you this question. You're so, you've, been a, you've been a regional counselor for now. We're going to be making an eight-year term pretty much, right? So you had your first four, and now we're yep. starting the second term. What has been your biggest failure? but also your biggest success as a regional council. Just so that when people want to try to apply for office, they're thinking, oh, it's going to be great. But we want to hear the real stuff of like, okay, there are some good, there are a lot of good, but there's a lot of things that you got to look out for. Yeah. Um, this is going to sound incredibly arrogant and it's not the, the reason, uh, the purpose, but it's just like, I don't think I had any monumental failures on council. Um, so let me start with the successes. Maybe I'll think of a failure. Um, one of them was, you know, diversity and inclusion. 
I always, I think I told you this at the door, Kim, when I, when I met you knocking on your door, but like, I didn't envision my, when I envisioned my identity of being a counselor, I thought I'd be the young, in his mind, hip voice, you know, obviously I'm not hip, but just in my mind, I thought I'd be the hip voice, but honestly, I technologically focused. I thought I'd be kind of the tech counselor focusing on all these tech initiatives and tech motions and everything. And part of that did come to fruition, but obviously during 2020, you know, um, BLM became a thing. And during BLM in Durham and Ajax, we all of a sudden seeing, seeing some, um, some issues we've had with our own diversity issues and our black community and our racialized community. And all of a sudden, because on regional council, I was only one of three racialized members out of a 20 person council. I, I was, I wouldn't say forced, but I, I definitely stepped up into the role of championing, um, racial and diversity issues whether it's like indigenous issues, whether it's black issues, we created, you know, and under, I won't say solely because of me, but definitely you pushed for me, our own anti-racism task force of the town that brought some great, you know, ideas of how we can improve, you know, uh, uh, relations within the black community. We have an anti-racism task force at the region of which I was the first chair and all these things were amazing. So I guess from a failure point of view, I can think of one. There's no organization that needed more of this, more diversity inclusion training than Durham Region Police. You know, like there's a lot of mistrust in our police forces across. And that's a shame too. Predominantly the states. Yeah, we get, we hear it a lot in the states of just abuse of power and not uh, listening to, you know, basic rights. And so I was trying to shout at the top of my lungs, hey, Durham Region Police, we need to steer the ship correctly. We need to kind of right the ship. Because again, there were some issues. There was one issue where there was a retired DRPS officer's Facebook page. It was a private one, but they were posting pictures of like, oh, here's a drawing my kids did. And it was like black people being arrested. And it's just like, it's incredibly offensive. And the fact that they didn't even think it was offensive and posted it means there's like a cultural issue. So one of the things after that and during BLM, the chief police said back in 2020, here are some concrete items we're going to do to address racism within the DRPS. Not that the DRPS is inherently racist, but we want to bridge the gap in the community. One of them was as simple as doing a survey of our force so we can tell the public, this is the breakup of our force. Anybody who has two eyes can see that it's a very much predominantly white force that is gradually being uh, more uh, racialized, but it is what it is. And so they, the chief would come to regional council quarterly and quarterly for two and a half years, Ken, I'm not like, there's, there's video record. I'd ask, what's the update on the survey? Oh, you know, we're working on blah, 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 blah. What's the update on the survey? Oh, you know, we had, a, had to find a vendor. No problem. Two and a half years later, my last regional council meeting was in June. And he came back and I said, what's the update with the survey? And he said, oh, unfortunately, we had a few bad actors who were giving like misinformation into the survey. So we had to throw out all the results. What? So like, yeah. Like, Ken, two and a half years of me hammering. I mean, I, and quite honestly, I was the only one who even brought it up during these meetings. And two and a half years later, they threw out all the results. And I don't even know what the next step is, whether they're going to redo it or whatever. But that is very much a failure on all our parts, where it wasn't a priority enough for DRPS after, because it's been a few years since BLM, and these issues have not been as loud as they were. But that's, that was my job then, to bring light to it. And I swear I did. But it still didn't come to fruition. So that was very disappointing. 
it's why one of my platform pieces was to continue to, for better lack of a better term, harass DRPS because like it's we are one issue away, one instance of police brutality, one instance where you know um, a person felt their rights were infringed before there's complete mistrust in DRPS from the racialized community. I really think it's that simple. And these steps would have done a lot to cushion that. The fact they haven't even been done yet, I'm, I very much worry for the next steps in our community and our trust in the community. Because Ken, you know, like you're in my board, we have, we're 58% racialized. You know, 58% of us are non-white, which is amazing. It's why I love living in Ajax. But I hear constantly, especially from my black constituents saying, yeah, I, we, we quote unquote made it. We drive very nice cars. And we get pulled over once a week for ticky-tack issues. Ken, I don't get pulled over when I drive. I drive a Hyundai Ionic. I not, that's not sexy enough, right? But I think there's a more core issue where there's still some implicit biases within the police force. And we, we haven't even begun to tackle them. So I, I think it's a priority that we tackle So you're going to work on that during the next uh, four years? Hopefully we can do that. 100%. So, and the final thing, is, I'll try to lighten this up just a little bit. My interaction with a DRPS <laughs> has actually been very... I would say comical in some ways, but generally not so comical because I don't, I'll, I'll be honest. I've had the police come to my door maybe several times since we've lived here. Not one of them was white, and it, which is, a, I guess, a good thing to say. And the yes. funny thing is, too, they're all also very young as well. And I think we had a, a few black officers. We had some, um, you know, other, other races and stuff like that. And I remember, I'll just make this point quick because I do like getting involved with the police meeting that I have security cameras on, on our house. So anytime there's like accidents or anything like that, I'm the first one to let me check the camera. Cause I'll get police coming to my door to say, Hey, we saw you have cameras. Do you have anything here that captures it? And I'm the first yeah. friend that like, let me check. And I'll either say, yes, I do. Or no, I don't. Because obviously if you put the camera too wide, you're going to get notifications for everything. So you're not going to see it. Right. So I'm always about helping the police. And the one funny story, funny story for some people, but I'll two fun, two quick stories. One time, my kids loved to play with the deadbolt, and both were very similar. Right. We didn't have like a, you know, a dead, they played with a deadbolt, and the wind one time blew the door open, right? And we have an alarm system, the alarm went off, and the first time it happened was honestly, I was there picking up my kids, we're getting ready to go, we just came from the dentist, and then they get a phone call from the security company, they said, oh, uh, we, have a, we have an alarm, and usually, it's usually because if we forget to set the alarm properly, like we, we lift the door just a little bit open and set the alarm, if the sensors aren't matching, yeah. it'll, it'll go up. And I said, oh, let me check. I go in, I look, and I see the door's open. I said, oh, okay. Send, send the police then, right? Call my wife, Mrs. K, tell her, okay, don't come home. You know, if you want to take the kids back, because I don't know if someone's in there. But she parks across the street from where we live, and she's watching, and she's like, the police are there. They're looking at all this stuff, and they're like, look, I think I saw, I think someone's in the house. I said, you sure? Yeah, I saw some some curtains rustling. And, you know, they sent two officers in, they're looking around and then, uh, they said, okay, I don't think, I don't think it, I don't think anyone broke in. And I was like, no, someone must have, they must have picked the lock. Where our house is, we're at corner lot, very visible corner to yeah. a lot of cars. So, and this is four in the afternoon. So I really doubt that someone would try to be that slick about it. And the one officer came to me and they said, sir, and this is my wife's on speakerphone at this point. He's like, all right, let me, let me get you. The cops are here. Sir, we need to ask though, because it doesn't look like they would have broken the back because you have like a little security bar there. But let me ask you this, sir. Did you have anything important in your office? Because your office seems like it was ransom. Like, and then my wife's like, hey, that's what happens if you don't clean up your office. Right? And then she's embarrassing me in front of the police officers. 
The <laughs> second funny story, I'll make this really quick too. It's the same thing that happened. The, the kids for, didn't set the deadbolt, and this time it's at nighttime. The wind blew the door open. A little scarier. scarier. No one woke up because we had this. There's a different alarm company. The alarm, com- the alarm went off, right? No one heard it, right? And I went to the security company later on. They said, are you sure this is loud enough when I first installed this? Because I don't know if it's loud enough. No one woke up. All I hear is my wife waking me up. I think somebody's in the house. I said, what? <laughs> yeah, I think somebody's in the house. So I go walking. She grabs a baseball bat. This is in the summertime, pitch black. My kids didn't, for some reason, didn't wake up. I'm there in like, let's right. not get too graphic with this. I'm there in a tank top and boxer shorts. I'm walking in there. I see two police officers and I was telling my wife, just don't hold the bat. Don't bring the bat with you. And they're like, they look at me, sir, can you put your hands up? And I'm like, put them oh my God. Up. Right. And thank God my wife did not bring the baseball bat up because you can imagine if you're a police officer, you see anybody holding a weapon, even if it's a baseball bat. That, that gun's gun, being drawn. Be right? But also too. They also weren't white, the police officers. So that's my two interactions with it. It cost me $200, though, because unfortunately the security companies messed up. And unfortunately, I had to call them. Right, right. And it, lesson learned, if you have a security company, please do not turn off your cell phones because they were also trying to call. And when no one responds, they're going to send the police. So, Well, also, it's 2022. Who turns off their cell phones? I sometimes, well, I don't do it anymore. But I, I try to find the minimum settings because I don't. I still have a house phone, if you can believe it. Just because, but yeah, wow. <laughs> it's still voice over IP. So it's not like it's an internet phone. It's not like the, li- sure, sure, it's sure. just because yeah. there are some companies I don't want calling the house. Like basically, utility providers call. I don't want the cell phone. I want the cell phone from basically family, friends, you know, business stuff. But for some other things like, okay. And duck cleaning. Ducks cleaning, duck cleaning. Or the CRA, they can call my, they can call my house phone. But uh, that, <laughs> nice. that's interesting what you said there. So, all right, we're, we're almost at the time. But just one last, you know, just to say, yeah, very quickly, just, I don't want people to think I'm anti-police. In fact, it's the opposite. I I, I very much respect the police, but it's a matter of uh, picking out the bad apples. See, the whole batch isn't spoiled, right? And that's like, that's what I'm hoping to achieve long-term. People are like, oh, you, you hate, no, that couldn't be part of I want of a safe police force that people trust and can respect. But it's just like, anytime you see these instances, whether it's in the news or social media, it erodes public faith in our basic institutions. And that's what- Yeah, and, and funny thing too, is that with BLM, obviously it's very polarizing because I think it's gotten very politicized for a lot of different things now because the cause might've been sure. great, but then you know all these stories of all these other things, you're not too sure anymore. I remember one thing as well that I saw from BLM uh, that I thought was, that I agreed with. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I think they were going to, let's say, a, you know, a blue rally or something. This is from a few years ago. I don't even I don't know the exact thing. I saw it was a, it was a YouTube video. And they, they, they introduced, because they were trying to bring the community together. So they had these people that were either pro-police and they don't like BLM or all this sort of stuff. But they had a BLM person come on. And of course, they were kind of booing and heckling him. But the BLM member actually won over the crowd. Because he said, just like you said, when you have a bad plumber, you want to get rid of the bad plumbers. You don't blame all the plumbing industry. Yeah. What we want is just remove the bad police officers. Because I think majority are, they're good. It's just unfortunate. It's the same yeah. thing with the, like, back to this whole politics thing, is that the media likes to sell the anger. So they sell all the things that divide us versus celebrating the 90 to 95% of the time where we all agree very similar things. Like, could you imagine there's this whole thing, Sterling, is that how many relationships through COVID really affected where there's either divorces or long-term breakups or even families splitting up because 
they only focused on that one COVID issue that made everyone either you're either anti-vax and you're crazy or you're pro-vaccine. You're just you're yeah. just following the government. All this sort of stuff. I'm like, you cannot agree on that thing. That's going to ruin your relationship versus everything else. Yeah. You can cheer for the same sports teams. We can debate sports teams and disagree on it, but yet we can still have a beer. That's what I think the, the communication signals are, are, are now. Unless you're a fan from New York or Boston, That's to be true. fair. Never mind. Or they're pretty, they're pretty, or <laughs> they're if pretty you're hard. European <laughs> soccer, that's very, or that's right. college football, those things. People, people in Boston will throw yeah. batteries at you. I <laughs> put an asterisk to that comment. But yeah, I'll, yeah, and it's, it's, it's true. And it's, we have to learn to disagree again. Politely. And, yes. Or, you know, we can, we can have fundamental core issues. Like if, if vaccination is the most important thing to you, that's cool. That's that's not most important thing to me, but that's cool for you. But everything can't be the most important thing. Yeah. Everyone's getting offended. You're just like you're leaving no. Ever then then everyone's gonna be like, well, you 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 hit my eh, guys. Come on, like th there should be some you know uh, empathy and some some me medium. Yeah, ground. that's why I think I always I always call myself more like a center person, where it's like I might like a policy on the left, but that doesn't mean I like all their policies on the left. There's some policies on the right that sure, I like. Of course not. But that doesn't mean I don't want to, you know, why can't we have independent thinkers like that to say, okay, that's kind of how I am. I agree with this. I don't agree with that. That's perfect. No harm, no foul. That's why for my, for my, for our marriage, you know, if she can vote totally the other way than I do, I'm not going to, we're not going to divorce over it. Right. Because at the core issues that are important to us, Sterling, like I think for a lot of people are aligned, you know, she might differ here and there, but that's not going to be enough to break up our relationship and i think we should do that more i mean don't get me wrong if my vote if my wife voted against me uh we may get separated may not divorce but at least i'd have a conversation yeah, i mean you let on the case. couch for a bit but aside from that <laughs> so all right so you see this is why we're trying to make it more relaxed I, or more lighthearted because especially in the beginning where we didn't want to make this about all doom and gloom when it comes to different things and i know for the small business of course orders, you know saying oh we did we did talk a lot about that and i think that's what i want to make sure we we, we address that as well but now we're just about approaching the end of the show and I want to make sure we finish off on one more lighthearted note. Hey, do you need an error-free website? Do you need transcription that's accurate and on time? Would you like to remove noise from your video or audio recording? Do you need a spokesperson for your business? If so, we can help. At Northway Capital Group, we are happy to announce that we are now providing website testing services, audio transcriptions, and audio cleanup, as well as spokesperson services. We would love to help you on your next project. Contact us for more information at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Now it's time for the rapid fire round. So this is going to be our rapid fire round now. So what we're going to do here, Sterling, is I'm going to ask you all Let's these questions and we'll see how fast you can do it. All right, question number one. All right. What did the 15-year-old self think you'd be doing now? Um, uh, <laughs> you know, he wanted to be a politician, and that's the funny thing. But the 15-year-old self didn't know how to get into politics. And also, when you're a teenager, you're very disillusioned with yeah. politics in general, like every teenager is. So I just like, it's, I'm glad I was able to kind of bring it back uh, to just the ambition. How do you balance your work life? Because you're a crazy politician, busy with uh, family. So how do you do it? Um, I love like capital L love movies. You know, I, I, I'm a huge movie person. So I, I, I make time to watch movies and TV with my wife. I'm also, um, a closeted wrestling fan. Like I watch wrestling probably more than I should. <laughs> you know, my wife, my wife tolerates this passion of mine. 
And then um, ultimately, I'm hoping to kind of get back into improv, get back into like, um, I used to play recreational dodgeball when I was younger, my 20s and early 30s. Hope to get back into that now that my kid's of age. So I just, it's, um, the, the, the broader answer is you have to make a priority to, um, to let go of the job sometimes, even when it's all consuming. Otherwise, it, it'll especially eat you if you're, so especially just, if you're starting a small business it. as well and running a small business. Is, is 100%. And just say, don't be a clo- it's okay to be a Clausewitz fan. I, I am as well. I just took my kids to the nice. Toronto show. I think this is back in May 2022. My son had a Rey Mysterio mask. All the family had wrestling shirts. Nice. And then as soon as I looked to see what they're coming back to Toronto in the end of the year, I looked at the prices for the I, I looked at the price of the tickets and my the tickets my son wants sixteen hundred dollars for the four of us. I'm like, I don't know if we're gonna be going to that one. Come to gotta get it, gotta get I more know. sponsors. Gotta get more sponsors. I know. The Maybe then we'll we'll do it. But funny, funny about that stuff. Okay, so what posters did you have on your wall when you were a teenager? Again, I was a movie guy, so I had a Reservoir Dogs poster. I also had a poster of. Um, you know, I'm big, big into it. not big, but I really enjoy Chinese cinema. So there's a John Woo, John Woo movie called The Killer with uh, Chow Yun Fat, and it was a him just holding the two guns. And yeah, I was, <laughs> I was that teenager. We're not saying that Sterling is promoting handguns. It's just that he liked the poster. <laughs> no, definitely not. I just like action. You movies. know, it's actually a funny thing. I did not know this in my family. Who's a big action junkie? My mom. I guess for some reason nice. I'm thinking once your parents are should only be into like aged dramas or anything like that or like old people movies but she's like she loves fast and the fears she loves the you know the the expendables and all the everything action related i'm like yeah what? really uh when i'm 90 i hope to be watching fast and the furious 48 like that's my goal excellent all right next question what word or phrase do you most overuse oh man, that's such, that's a good one um how dare you? Um, I, I, it's, so I don't, I don't, I'm not like in a very, it's a very just a subtle of just like my wife will tease me or a coworker will tease me and I'll just look at them and be like, how dare you? And it's, yeah, I, I do that quite often. I do that with my kids as well. Sometimes I'll say something and they'll say, daddy, how dare you? I'm like, what? Or these days, because my kid is five, it's just his name of Finnegan because he's of that age where he doesn't listen to me. <laughs> so I definitely use that um, one all the time in that tone. Right. What's one subscription you cannot live without? Um, I don't even like Netflix that much. So it's not Netflix. Uh, that I, a subscription. You know what? Um, legitimately, I, I pay for the New York Times. Um, part of it is to, so I could, you know, like I, I, I really like their writing and I, they, have, they cover like a lot of technology and entertainment. So I, my New York Times subscription. I, I, I know there's like, people are like, oh, you must be all like, I'm not you know, overly uh, pompous or anything. I just really like reading the New York There's something about paper. I sometimes read better from paper than from a screen, I find. Like, this recalled me back when I was like 17 and Mexican food places in Canada at the time were just Taco Bell. Would only- Taco Bell, right? Now we're starting to get more locations and actual restaurants. But back then, I'm talking like 1997, there weren't that many. And then the only one that you did know of was downtown. And I lived in Scarborough, which is, I didn't want to commute all that. So I was always used to Taco Bell. The first time I went to Los Angeles, I was there with family. We were walking on the beach and there was a Mexican restaurant there. And I look at that and uh, I tell my parents, oh, you know, I had, you know, I had a little bit of money. Then I said, what? Let's go for lunch. And they're like, no, we're just going to continue walking the beach. Okay. You guys walk the beach. I'm going to go to this restaurant by yourself. Absolutely. I go in and they say, how many? Just one. You sure? 
yep, just give me, just give me a newspaper and I'm good. And I was totally content yeah. with it. What do you want on the menu? Would, would you like anything on the menu? I said, give me everything. I'm willing to try anything. And it was so good. But uh, yeah, reading the paper, actually not a bad thing. I'm trying to get more my kids it. And if not, sorry, I just realized there's another one. Uh, I have a subscription to Landmark Cinemas where they kind of give you like a free movie every, that one. And they gave you like discount off concessions. Again, I love movies that much. We try and see as many as we can. We just saw Black Adam, which wasn't as bad as people say it was. So yeah, I, I will always Wait, love it. Landmark Cinemas has a, uh, a subscription? Oh, I yeah. Know. Again, like I, I was kind of mad at Cineplex. I think Cineplex is starting to charge to like reserve seats. Really? Like after a decade of them saying, oh, yeah, you know, reserve your seats on our app. Now they're charging a premium for that. So uh, that that was like a deal breaker for me. I also like the the customer experience more at oh, Landmark. Yeah. So that, I, that is our theater we go to as a family. I almost feel like they should just remove yeah. that Cineplex that's right on sale with Kicks and just build a Landmark there. We repurpose it because uh, it's uh, it's going to be removed. I don't know what they're replacing it with, but it's oh, just, they're closing. It's it? like a C level theater, so I think. Oh, really? So, yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. See, look at this. I'm speaking to a regional council who's actually able to give me some news ahead of time because. You know, that That's used to true. be a selling feature when we moved here. I was like, oh, look, there's a movie theater and a Costco. We're good. But uh, once we started, I guess I didn't know about reserved seating. This is from a few years ago, where the first experience I had was in Hong Kong with it, where almost every movie theater. Oh, I know. Me you too. Just, you it was amazing. And I was like, really? No, yeah. I wasn't too happy with the popcorn. I'm, I'm old school butter salt thing. They had like caramel popcorn, which is great for some, but for some reason, I can't do that for a movie. I need the butter. No, not for an entire no. movie. Not for but an entire yeah. movie. You need. And then yeah. in Toronto, they didn't have it, or in Canada, they didn't have it really until it was like those VIP cinemas, right? And then you could kind of pick it, yeah. and you're paying a premium. But then Landmark was always like that. And then now it's in Whitby that we go to. I was like, that's our go to. If it ain't there, I'm not going to watch it anywhere else unless there's like something else. But yeah, weird stuff back then. Again, my wife and I, because we love movies so much, like we used to line up 45 minutes before the movie started just to get good well, seats. Well, yeah. So this has absolutely changed. And the funny experience. thing too, it's... Uh, Sterling too, what was, what was horrible is that I remember one movie, I can't remember what it was. We got to the theater, we got a great seat. The fire alarm went off. Everyone left. It was a false oh. alarm. And they said, okay, everyone, now back to your seats. And everyone exactly. just free for all. It was horrible. I'll, my last movie, sir, before we finish off. Uh, I remember we, during that thing, we actually got a free voucher for a free movie. So I, I, I had two of course. free passes. I took one of my buddies. I think we were like 15 at the time. And the choices to use the free movie was Father of the Bride 2 or Toy Story. Oh, uh, there you go. Okay. So you go Toy Story. I, I told my friend, no, man, this is two regular dudes. I'm like, we got to watch Father of the Bride 2 because I remember watching the first one. You love Steve, Steve Martin. Martin. Was yeah, you love but Steve Martin. My friend did? did not. He didn't smile once in the movie. And because uh, I didn't, I'm a cartoon. I don't want to watch a cartoon. I'm in, I'm in my teens, but. Yeah, he, he he gave me a lot of heat for that because like you free movie, you pick Father of the Bride two instead of Toy Story. He'll never let me live that down. <laughs> but aside from that, all right, last question that we got here. Actually, no, I'll give you two last ones here, and uh, this is more this is more Please. of the serious ones here. But how do you deal with difficult clients or staff, or in your case, politicians? Um, how do you deal with them? Yeah, so like my my difficult clients are constituents, and so that is very. Uh, you know, like is, is anything, like you get people you yelling at you. Like I said, people don't like me. They haven't even met me. I think, um, you know, I have to, you, you have to, part of the job is I'm the customer service for the municipality, whether I like it or not. It's just the byproduct. So I remember that. And you, you, 
it's it's the old rope-a-dope strategy that Muhammad Ali used, where you just kind of let them keep talking and keep talking and keep talking. And you, you know, you ask a few qualifying questions, and then eventually like they will tire themselves out. And then without fail, I will always use my sense of humor. And it, it's probably a 95% success rate. The 5%, it has failed horribly and it's probably made things a bit worse. But generally, like it's you, you tire them out, let them get it out because that's what they want. And then you try to find the solution to the problem, you know? But I think most of it, because uh, again, like I recognize people are angrier now. So let them get that anger and frustration out. Uh, and then you get to the core person where we can be human beings again. And then I can help you with your problem right. at that point. It's, by the way, it's hard. You know, I still have to take a lot of that. I still get yelled at and I don't like getting yelled at because I'm a human being. But it's just like part of me, I accept that as uh, part and parcel with the job that I've right. inherited. Oh, good. Now back to the last two funny, fun questions here. And I always ask this to my guests, these two ones here. All right. You can make a sandwich named after yourself. Oh, sorry. What is on your sandwich and what would it be called? If you can make your own sandwich, what would be in it and what would it be called? So, I mean, the Sterling objectively is a pretty great name for a sandwich, right? So let's the name get that is out good. of the way. Um, listen, I, when I get a deli sandwich, I, I absolutely love uh, corned beef on dark rye. It's got to be medium fat corned beef. A, ni a nice dark mustard. It doesn't have to be like Dijon, but just a mustard on corned beef, piled high on dark rye, so, uh, you know, pickle skewer to the side, and then fries or chips. Like that is always a winner. And quite honestly, like that's just called a corned beef sandwich. So there's no reason why we couldn't give that Sterling. a name. So I would, I would, I would, they were going to call the corned beef sandwich uh, piled high, medium fat, dark rye, pickle skewer. The yeah, I was going to say that. I'm like, all that you're, you're describing, I'm like, just call it the Sterling, which should be good. Just call it the Sterling. It's easier that Excellent. way. Last question here. What is your theme song? So that song that you're walking down the street, that song hits, <laughs> everyone knows Sterling's coming. Again, I love professional wrestling. So like I constantly am walking with theme songs in my head. Um, so um, there's, um, there's a version, you know, What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong, you know, uh, Joey Ramone. And I'm not even a huge punk rock fan or even a huge Ramone fan. But um, that that song absolutely would be my theme song. It, it's got a huge guitar riff right from the get-go. And then it, it mixes in the beautiful lyrics of What a Wonderful World, too. And I think we have to remember, in spite of the, this craziness going on, like how grateful we should be uh, to live in this world where we can record podcasts. You know, like I'm not wanting for food or shelter. Unlike many people in the world right now. Inflation sucks, absolutely, but it's just like we've been able to, you know, we've made a few cuts, but for the most part, I live, a, I'm, I live a very grateful life. I'm in a job. I love, how many people can only say, like, they love their job. I love what I'm doing. Like I said, 15-year-old me didn't even think this is a possibility. 41-year-old me, I'm here. I made it. I'm good at it. So it's like, I have a beautiful boy. I have a beautiful wife. Um, I, I'm very grateful for the world we live in. So sometimes I, I, I think that theme song would be, what a wonderful world, because like, I'm just it's who yeah things could be absolutely better could win the lottery but right now where i am i'm very much cognizant of the fact that i have everything i could want in life right now and very few people can say that that's so, really nice I, one of my friends is also a big wrestling fan and his was like i guess the stone cold glass breaks theme but i said it's usually when it's usually yeah, when the kids are messing around so when that, when that theme hits they know daddy's coming so funny stuff and jr's yelling <laughs> stone cold oh my god is there any other final message you want to give to the listeners for small business owners aspiring to do that to do this thing or even aspiring politicians any final words it goes back to just like it's okay 
to have a dream, um, no one is stopping you from achieving it. And I think it's so easy to make excuses and so easy to get inundated and overwhelmed. But like, we've all been in that position. Take that first step. Fortune favors the bold. You know, make, make mistakes. That's how you learn. And just, again, the, the, the hopefully I've summed this up, just have empathy for one another. And those are going to be the successful small business owners. Those are going to be the successful politicians are the ones who never forget where you came from because the struggle is what makes the success worthwhile. If you had no struggle, then it's just like, oh, okay, I could have done this in my sleep. But the struggle and the sweat, the, the failures, grind. and then when you finally succeed, the grind, yeah, is, is the hustle. That, that's what makes everything so much sweeter when you get it. Oh, that's do. great. So where can listeners reach out to you? Sure. Um, so I am on um, your standard Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at your voice for Ajax, uh, the number four into the F-O-R. I also have a Twitch. I haven't started on Twitch yet, but like I, I want to get back into playing video games. And you know, my son's older. We've been playing a lot of Mario, and I'd love for that. And then um, I also have, I, I also started a podcast during the pandemic. It's kind of fallen off a bit, but you can check it out. Um, it's called um, Durham Unplugged. Um, part of my thing was I wanted to kind of do a, a version of what you're doing at the end of just meeting politicians and humanizing them. It's very easy to think that all politicians are scumbags and horrible people, but my podcast, it just talks about everything but politics and just, what are you watching on TV? What are your hobbies? Who are you as a human being? And I think, especially in today's day, like, you know, toxic. Uh, political age, it's really important to put a human face on your local representatives. And now that we have a brand new term, some new counselors, I think I'll start it up again and meet some of these your people. co-host, let me know. Be glad to help you out with that one. Yeah, 100%. So, all right, all right Sterling, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Ken, and thank you to your list. Do you have a small business story to share? The SME Stories Podcast is looking for entrepreneurs to share their tales of success, failure, and everything. If you're interested in being a guest on our show or know someone would be a great fit, please contact us at Northway Capital Group at gmail.com. That's Northway Capital Group at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories Podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.